One of the great things that about, uh, I love about church is, is being able to present the opportunity to those who get started in ministry. Uh, one of the things that was afforded to me and a grace that was given that has allowed me to be where I am today. And today we have such a privilege to be able to be a part of someone else's story and their journey as God is working in their life. And so today I, wanna, I have the privilege and the honor to be able to introduce to you uh, who will be a guest speaker for us today, but who's part of our church family and one of our own, our uh, pastoral assistant for Pastor Mike, Evan Alritz. And so I'm very thankful to be able to be the person who introduces him as we continue our journey through the book of Romans uh, and as he had time to study the book of Romans uh, and share what God has uh, revealed to him through his study of the word. Uh, if you don't know Evans, of course, you may just know him. For, if you've been in Discover, of course, you've seen his picture. You uh, played a couple games with him in Discover. If you've been a part recently, and he and I have done that, we've had some fun together. Uh, but just tell you a little bit about his background. So Evan graduated from Liberty. Uh, he has a bachelor's in pastoral leadership, and his focus and concentration there was actually in biblical studies. So these are good grounds for him. Uh, this is his third time in a formal church setting of preaching. Uh, he's had the chance, though, on numerous occasions to teach in various other environments, such as nursing homes. He's even taught here in our student ministry several times, taught in our children's ministries. He's, so he's had some experience teaching, and uh, he'll be able to share that with you today. Uh, one of the things that he aspires to do, he hopes, is that at some point in the future, God will let him do what Pastor Mike does, and that is to serve as a lead pastor of church. And so we're going to be praying that God would uh, do that in, a li in his life and, and allow him to serve uh, in that capacity. So I'm going to ask you now if you wouldn't mind help me welcoming Evan as he comes up to open God's word and share with us today. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. I hope everybody is having a great morning thus far, and I think it's a blessing uh, to be able to be up here and to be given this opportunity to share uh, not only uh, from the Word of God, but also continuing in our in-depth study of Romans. Um, I think it's a blessing that uh, they have trusted me enough to come up and do that, and uh, I'm so excited to be here today. So if you would, uh, we're going to be opening up to Romans chapter 3. We're going to continue where we left off last week, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. Um, you're more than welcome to also use your electronic version. That's fine, too. Um, but if you would, once you're there, would you stand for the reading of God's holy word? Hear the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I am so blessed to be able to speak from your word here today, and I pray, Lord, that as I am up here, it is not me who is speaking, but it is your words and your truth that is spoken from my lips, Lord. Father, I pray that 
I decrease so that you might increase in this message, Lord. I pray that we are able to see the truths of your gospel, the truths that Paul communicated from you, Lord. So Father, I pray that you will guide our steps as we walk through this passage today. And we look at some very key themes and we see how, in light of what we have discussed in previous weeks, how you change our life. So Father, be with us now. And it's in your gracious and most heavenly name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today I want to open up by sharing a story with you all. Uh, it's one that I heard a few years ago. I think it's a great story to illustrate this point. And it, and it goes like this. There's a kid who is in college. He's driving home uh, just to be home for the weekend. And as college students may do, especially uh, guys, they like to uh, you know, just blast the music and cruise down the highway. And, you know, this kid, he, he knows he's going a little fast. He's, he's just wanting to get home. He's just having a good old time, taking a break from his studies, and, and he's just driving down the road. But as you may expect, whenever we're driving a little fast, uh, we are liable to be pulled over. Uh, and that is exactly what happened with this kid. He gets pulled over. And as he's sitting there waiting for the policeman to come up, this, this kid's thinking to himself, you know what? I am just going to kind of play dumb a little bit. I'm going to say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here, and maybe I will get out of this ticket. And so the police officer gets there, knocks on the window, license and registration, please. The kid goes, oh, of course, officer. Uh, yeah, by, may I ask, like, what, what was I doing wrong? Uh, I, I don't know what I was doing. And the officer looks at the kid, not amused, and goes, son, I clocked you going 105 miles per hour down the highway. You knew what you were doing. And according to the law, if you're going more than 30 miles per hour over the speed limit, I can cut your license and suspend it. And what you were doing was going more than 50 miles per hour over the speed limit on this section of the road. So this kid, he's in shock, right? He's like, oh, I'm not getting out of this one. In fact, I'm probably in a lot more trouble. And so the officer proceeds to put him in the back of the police car. He says he's going to get his car impounded, and he starts driving to this kid's sentencing. And when I tell this story, you might kind of have some flashbacks to what James Axwell talked about last week when he talked about how the righteous, or no one is righteous before the, before the eyes of God. We all stand condemned. No one is righteous. No, not one. And all the stories that he shared whenever he was up here preaching last week and there, there, there's a similarity, right? The fact that we know in our lives that sometimes we like to live according to what we like to do, and that sometimes is sinful, right? And what James talked about last week was the fact that whenever we are living in this way, at some point, we're going to be held accountable for it. We're going to get pulled over in our life, right? There's going to be that point where we have to answer for what we did. Even if we were like, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal, we're going to have to be held accountable for it. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today in this section of Romans. Because up to this point, we've talked about how there is an unrighteousness in humanity. No one is righteous before the eyes of God. We're all sinful and fallen creatures. And Paul, in this passage today, the story shifts. The, the salvation history that we see shifts. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, 
I, was, I had the opportunity to be with Pastor Ben as he was talking about in Discover class. We were doing our Jeopardy game, talking about the history and the beliefs of what living water is and what we believe. And afterwards, we always give a time of questions. If you have questions, please feel free to ask. And one of the questions that was asked that really kind of shocked me, I know uh, Pastor Ben had to step back and was like, oh, was this question. It was, does living water ever preach on the grace of God? And that just hit us. We were like, well, like, I, what do you mean by that? And as we, as we were asking questions, the, the family who was asking, they were a little bit newer to the church and they started attending right at the beginning of Romans when we're hitting all of this wrath, judgment, and sin. And so we, we get this in our mind of saying, okay, now we understand. And even though that these are these hard themes, we want to make sure that we're communicating this grace. And today, especially, as we're getting into this and getting out of that section a bit, where we're still talking about this wrath and this sin and this judgment, the story shifts and we see this grace. We see the grace of God through his righteousness. And so when we look at what Paul is doing here in Romans, he's greeting the church, he's longing to see them, he's talking about the sin and wrath, and now he says, hey, this is where we go from here. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we go from here? Where do we go from being condemned under the sin and the wrath, or from because of our sin? And where do we go? And you know, Paul is talking about this. He, he breaks the people down first in his first section of Romans because he wants the people to understand that there is no one that's righteous. The Jew is not better than the Gentile. The Gentile is not better than the Jew. You know, the Jew thinks he's better because he has the law. He has, oh, hey, this is my salvation. If I follow the law, that's my salvation. And the Gentile, who is a little bit more civilized, thinks that, oh, this barbarian, I am a lot more righteous than him. But what Paul is doing in this first section of Romans, he's talking about, hey, there is no one more like, righteous in the eyes of God. There's no one. He's tearing these images down. He wants us to see where we are in the eyes of God because of our sin. And he doesn't hold back his punches. So where do we go from here? And this is why we're getting into our passage here today. And this, this one theme really stands out as you read. And if we don't have this theme in this passage, we don't have a passage in a text for today. And that is the righteousness of God. Everything in this passage stems from those couple words, the righteousness of God. And so what is that? And that's what we're going to kind of get into today. And I have four points. I'm going to do one more than what uh, they normally do. So I'm sorry. I'm trying not to keep you... As, as super long, but I have four points that I want us to look through as we walk through this text, and it is this, how righteousness is provided, how righteousness is needed, how righteousness is bestowed, and how righteousness is declared. So when we dive into our passage and we dive into this first point, righteousness provided, we see that in verse 21 through the beginning of verse 22, it says this, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I'm going to pause there for a moment. When Paul begins this section of Romans, he begins with what is perhaps the most beautiful phrasing in all of Scripture, the but now. And I'm talking about the B-U-T, not the B-U-T-T. It's, it's the beautiful but of Scripture because we're contrasting this, 
this, this sin and judgment to something new. We're contrasting it, saying, hey, because of this, now we have something else. And it's a beautiful word because when we see that in Scripture, we see that even though we are condemned because of our sin, there's a way out now. But what is that way out? That's what we want to look at today. And so whenever Paul goes on to speak, he's talking about this righteousness of God. Well, what does that mean? The righteousness of God, it's, the, the Greek for that is dikesune. And the word occurs a total of four times in this passage. Verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, and verse 26. It also occurs twice in the verb form, which is translated justify, and then it occurs another time in the, as an adjective in the word just. So Paul is using this word and this phrase several times in this passage, so it's a key thing. If we don't have it, there's really nothing left. So what is it? When we say to declare righteous, what we're saying here is that it's this, it's this legal term. We hear it in the courtroom. It's a verdict of a judge. And to be declared righteous, we are made clean. We are, we are, uh, it is as if we've done nothing wrong. We have met the righteous requirements of the judge. And that's exactly what Paul is using it for in this passage. He's speaking about these righteous requirements of God and what that looks like from a lens of grace, the grace of God. And as we continue in this passage, we see that this righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When we see this, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So Paul, what he's doing is he's explaining this righteousness of God, this righteous requirements of God, that they have been manifested apart from the law, and that's significant. Because when we see the law, whenever he says this, all the Jews in the audience, they're like, well, Paul, isn't the law the means by which we receive salvation? Like, when I do the good things that are in the law, that's what saves me. And Paul is saying, no, 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 hold up. That's not, that's not the case. This righteousness of God, it's not from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They show this. And when he says the law and the prophets, it's the two big sections of the Old Testament. We have the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and then we have the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. Now the prophets, you can break that down into subsections, but the prophets is the main other, the main, other main half of this Old Testament. And that's significant because the Old Testament was just the testament of Paul's day. We didn't have a New Testament. Those were his scriptures. And what he's saying is the entire word of the Lord, it bears witness to this righteousness of God. It bears witness to Christ. And so as he's getting into this, he's showing that this doesn't like bring salvation, but instead it's something else. Listen to what Leon Morris has to say about this. He says, it's, it's been part of Paul's method to demonstrate in the section leading up to this point of the argument that the law cannot bring salvation. It can show the problem, and it can and does make clear that we are all sinners. But, we can, but it can do nothing more. Where the law is important, it cannot bring salvation. It does, however, point to the righteousness of God. It points to Christ. And not just the law, but the prophets as well, right? And listen to what Jesus says in John 5. He says this, For if you believed in Moses... 
talking to the Jews, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is affirming what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you can see me in the scriptures. And if you choose not to listen to that, if you choose not to recognize that, how can you follow my words? And so with this, we see how righteousness is ultimately provided. We see it in the scripture. God's laying it out in the Old Testament. But why do we need this righteousness? And that's our next point. Why do we need this righteousness? And as we continue through our section in Romans, we read from the end of verse 22 through 23. For there is no distinction, for all have have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we read these verses, church, there's so many things that we have to understand. I know it's a very short section, but there's so much rich, rich knowledge in these things. And the first is that, that, that this, that there's no distinction. This is what James talked about last week. There is no one that is righteous, no, not one. There is a lack of any basic difference between anyone in the sight of God. This is what Douglas Moo has to say about that. He says, Jews may have the law and the circumcision. Americans may lay a great claim to a religious heritage. Good people may point to their works of charity. But this makes no essential difference to one standing before the righteous and holy God. Doesn't matter what we do. We can can do good things all day long. We can practice a strict religion all day long. But if we're not right before the eyes of God, no one is righteous. And so when Paul's writing this, he's letting them know that there's no one, Jew or Gentile, there's no distinction. All are under sin's power and fall short of the glory of God. No distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. No distinction between the drunk man or the moral man. No distinction between you and me. There's no distinction. We're all at the same level field in the eyes of God when we don't have Jesus. And so as he continues, we see why there's no distinction because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And that word all is all-encompassing. It's the global totality whole. We are all included. And, and it's just, it, it breaks me down every time I read this passage because that means me. If I don't have Jesus, like, that means me. I'm not worthy not only do we stand as sinners, we fall short of God's glory. When we see glory in the Bible, church, it's, it's talking about the magnificent presence of the Lord, the eternal state, the eternal state in which was often pictured as a time when God's people would participate in that glory. We see that in a several verses. You know, first, Isaiah 35, 2, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Second Thessalonians 2, 14, to this he called you through our gospel, so that you might attain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're pictured as as described as being a part of that glory. That's not what Paul's saying here in this passage. Yes, he's talking about God's magnificent presence, but instead of how we take part of it, he says that we fall short of it. We don't get to participate in that because we are sinners. We have fallen short. We don't meet, meet the mark. It's a tough thing. All men, before the judgment seat of God, if we don't have Christ, are unrighteous and unworthy. 
And so when we see this, whenever we go, and if we try to make, like, do this by our own efforts, if we try to experience this glory, if we try to not be sinners, if we try to do this, that, that's the key word, we'll try and we always fail. We always will fail. And I, I watched a video a few years ago that was shared with me, and I, I just want to share this with you, uh, this, this video that has stuck with me. And it's about a man who fell into a hole. You may say, Evan, why are you watching videos about a man who fell into a hole? I don't know. I just stumbled upon it. It's a great video. It's on Right Now Media. Go check it out. But this is what happens in this video. A man fell in a hole, and he couldn't get out. And another man appeared, a traveler passing by, and told the man, hey, meditate and purify your heart and mind. And when you reach nirvana, all your suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared and explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. But that man who didn't exist was still stuck in the hole that wasn't really there. Another visitor arrived, and he insisted that if you perform good deeds to improve your karma, although you would still die in this hole, you may be reincarnated into something magnificent. Another traveler looked down from above. He instructed the man to pray five times a day facing east, follow five important tenets, and hey, maybe the divine will intercede and you'll be released from the hole. The man did as best he could, but he was losing strength and he was still stuck in the hole. And another man appeared, and there was something different about this guy. He called down to the man and asked the man if he wanted to be free. And the guy in the hole, he said, yeah. I would love to be free. And so this man, he climbs down into the hole, grabs the man, and brings him out. And so the man who was stuck in the hole was now free in the light. He was saved. And so the reason why I tell you this story, church, is because we are a lot like that man. We can perform good deeds. We can practice all this religion. We can do everything. If we focus in on ourselves and making ourselves better, that's not going to cut it in the end. There's only one person who can actually get down into our pit that we're trapped in, that pit of sin, and pull us out, and that man is Jesus. There's nothing else that we can do. We can try all we want. We're not going to make it to the top of that hole. There's nothing we can do. We're in need of a savior. We need someone who is able to bring us out of that pit of sin. And that's why Jesus, in, this, in, in light of what we're reading here in Romans, that's what he does. He comes in. He changes everything. He impacts our lives by dragging us out of that pit of sin. So we see why we need this righteousness of God. So how is it bestowed upon us? Well, if we continue in our passage, at the, at, through t- verse 24, through the first part of 25, it says this and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. When I read that, when when I see that we are justified by God's grace as a gift, we have done nothing. It's given to us. Some translations will say that we are justified freely by his grace as a gift. And I love whenever we see that word freely, 
because it shows us that God's grace is unwarranted. It's determined by absolutely nothing other than his sovereign will. We can do nothing to elicit the love of God. It's just that it's his will to save us. You know, everything that was in verse 23 was due to humanity and what we have done. But from verse 24 on, it depends solely on God and what he has done for us. James Edwards, he says this, only in the light of grace can humanity recognize and lament its rebellion. Only in the light of its rebellion is humanity humbled to receive grace. If humanity is to be saved, salvation must come from outside of it. For on its own, humanity stands under wrath. That's what we're talking about in the first section of Romans, is that we all stand under wrath. From Romans 1.18 all the way to Romans 3.20, it's because of our sin and rebellion. We stand under this wrath, and there's no way to escape this reality except by the grace that God freely gave to us. Now, let's look at, let's, let's look at this word justified. We talked about it earlier. Uh, it's to declare righteous, this righteousness verdict, this righteous verdict of a judge, to remove guilt, set free of a transgression, uh, to be, declare righteous, vindicate. And as you can probably tell, this is still on that legal term. It's in contrast to condemnation. You know, if we're condemned under sin, we're, to, we're, we're, to, we're gonna die. If we're justified by Christ, we're going to live. However, we have to understand that there's also a difference between the word justified and pardon. And the word pardon, whenever we read this, um, it, you know, it's, it's this word that, you know, you're released again. You're released from this, uh, from this sentence. And a lot of times, scholars will say these words mean the same thing. In fact, there's one that says, hey, justification just means forgiveness and only forgiveness. And that's great. I mean, it, we, we want to be forgiven. However, it's, it's more than that. In light of what Paul is writing here, in light of what he's saying, it's not just forgiveness. Listen to what John Stott has to say uh, in regards to this. He says, pardon is a negative, the remission of a penalty or a debt. Justification is the positive, the bestowal of a righteous status, the sinner's reinstatement in the favor and fellowship of God. One says you may go, the other says, or one says you may go, you've been let off the penalty for which your sin deserves. The other says you may come, you're welcome to all of my love and my presence. So when we put our faith in Christ, when we believe that he died for us on the cross, canceling out this sin and death, that's when God justifies us. We experience this justification because not only are we released from this burden of sin, we're also welcomed into the presence of God. We're not just pardoned, we're, we're justified. And so how is this justification possible? Well, if we look at the rest of verse 25, or toward verse 24, we see that, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is another big word or theme. You're gonna, you're gonna get used to me saying that because there's lots of big words and themes in this passage. But it's this word of redemption. When we look at redemption, what does it mean? It's this liberation through the payment of a price. You know, in the New Testament time, Redemption or to redeem meant to be bought back out of bondage, out of slavery, out of captivity. You were released from that. 
And so with that being said, when we receive through the grace of God this justification through the redemption that is in Christ, we have been bought with a price. We have been able to experience this free gift because there was a price that was paid, not by us, but by God. Christ paid our ransom price, which was death. He paid it so that we didn't have to. Not that we could. We would have experienced death, but the, the, the penalty still would have been there and we would not have been righteous. God paid this price so that we could experience his glory and his goodness. God knows we can't pay this price and that's why he sent his son. And as we continue into verse 25, we see whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That whom is, is Jesus, as you see in the previous verse. And we have already seen that we have redemption in Jesus, but what does, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we have that redemption? Well, it's because Jesus is this propitiation by his blood. What is this word, this propitiation? The word is hilasterion in the Greek. Uh, if you know Greek and I did not pronounce that right, I'm sorry, come talk to me after. Um, but this word, it's almost always translated propitiation. That's what we see here in the ESV. But there is a growing number of scholars that want to uh, translate it as expiation. Um, meaning that they just wanna, they wanna translate this word because in the secular Greek culture of Paul's day, to propitiate something was to try to appease the wrath of the gods. You know, Zeus, Poseidon, all of them, they wanted to appease the wrath of the gods by performing sacrifices, whether that be human or animal, burning of incense, all these other things, they wanted to propitiate, they wanted to appease the wrath of the gods. And so a lot of scholars, they don't like that. They would rather pronounce it expiation, which means the wiping away or the forgiving of sins. And that sounds fine, right? Like we want our sins to be forgiven, we want them to be wiped clean. But when we translate it and we look at this word in this way, we, we lose something. We lose a big part of the gospel message. You know, Paul has spent roughly two chapters speaking about one theme, and it was that we all stand condemned under the wrath of God. And if we don't present this word hilasterion as that way by which wrath is removed, we are ultimately still under that wrath. And so when I was down at school at Liberty, I had the opportunity to hear from a, a guy named Keith Getty. Um, if you don't know who that is, uh, him and his wife, and then another gentleman named Stuart Townend, they wrote this uh, modern-day hymn entitled In Christ Alone. You probably know it, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Sorry, I probably blew your ears out. Um, but they wrote this song, this, this really famous and popular song nowadays in Christian culture, and uh, they were asked by the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, if they could use that song in the new hymn a new hymnal entitled Glory to God. And so the committee, they requested this from Stuart and Townen, or from Stuart Townen and uh, Keith Getty uh, on, the, on the chance that they could uh, change the lyrics a little bit. And still, instead of saying, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, they, they wanted to change the lyrics to say, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Still, it sounds great, right? We love having God's love magnified. 
However, getting in town and they rejected this uh, change of the lyrics. And in response, the hymnal committee uh, barred the book from the hymnal and they stopped using it altogether. And the reason for this is because they, they said, um, the song has been removed from our contents list with deep regret over losing its otherwise poignant and powerful witness. Because they wouldn't change the lyrics. And in response, this is what Keith Getty says. First, it's important to express how truly honored we feel that these groups would consider in adding in Christ alone to their hymnals. We support the approach they take of studying the lyrics of hymns as they select music worthy to be sung and preserved. However, we believe that altering the lyrics would remove essential part of the gospel story as explained throughout scripture. The main thread of what we see revealed throughout the Old and the New Testament is the need for man to be made right with God. They, the provided path toward reconciliation came through Christ's predetermined and perfect sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's wrath once and for all. And so church, when we remove this wrath of God from the gospel message, when we remove that and we take it out, we, we're, we're, we're ultimately saying, okay, we've been forgiven, but we haven't dealt with that wrath that we're still under. We haven't dealt with it. And so we're still, by, by, by saying that, we're still under that wrath and subject to it. And so when we look at this word in this passage, we also have to look at how it's been used throughout Scripture to, to make this judgment call of how we, how we can do this. Why does Paul translate it in this way for this use? Well, the, in the New Testament, this word is only used twice, here and then once in Hebrews 9. And then uh, it's in those passages, it's translated as the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. So it's in regards to the mercy seat. And then when we look at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it, it's used 21 out of 27 times to describe this mercy seat, the, the place in which uh, basically God took care of the Israelites' sin. And so when we look at this word, this mercy seat, we see that, okay, this is the place where, where God is dwelling. This is the place on the Day of Atonement that, that the blood was spilled from the sacrifices to appease the wrath of God. This is where he took care of those sins. And so when Paul is using this word, he's using it to represent the focal point back then, but now the center and the focus of this word is now on what Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus' blood was spilled. Jesus was where God's wrath, his all-encompassing wrath that was directed towards you and me, it was ultimately diverted to Christ as he was on the cross. And so when Paul is using this, we can't leave out this idea of wrath because the wrath needs to be satisfied in the gospel message. And so that's what Christ is doing. That's the gospel. When we put our faith in Christ, God bestows this righteousness from us, ultimately taking out for us out from underneath wrath's condemning presence. And this gets to our last point, how this righteousness is declared. And listen to what Paul says as we finish up this section in Romans. He says this in the rest of verse 25 through 26. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We see God demonstrating his righteousness here. We see that whenever um, he is, whenever Paul is writing this, we see that he's referring to God's holiness, his justice in this passage. But we have to ask ourselves this, this question, and a lot of people do, in the sense of, well, how can God be just if he passes over former sins? Isn't he supposed to be the holy God, the just God who doesn't overlook sin? What do we do with that? A lot of people ask that question in this passage. Is God not holy? Is God not just? When Paul is saying that in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins, Paul isn't saying that God overlooked or disregarded this sin. He's saying that God's divine forbearance postponed the judgment and justice because he was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to the cross where he can ultimately take care of that once and for all. Listen to how John Stott explains this. He says, God left unpunished the sins of the former generations, letting the nations go their own way and overlooking their ignorance, not because of any injustice on, on his part or with any thought of condoning evil, but in his forbearance and only because it was his fixed intention in the fullness of time to punish these, sin, punish these sins in the death of his son. This was the only way in which he could both himself be just, demonstrating his justice, and simultaneously being the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Both justice, the divine attribute of God, in justification, the divine activity would be impossible without the cross. We cannot mistake God's patience with sin as his tolerance for sin, right? God is so gracious that he's patient with us. He's so good that he, that he takes the time and he looked ahead to this cross to ultimately get rid of it, get rid of the problem of sin. That's just not who he is. He's not the unrighteous God. He's so just. He's such a just and holy God. And if you ask the question, well, if, you know, who is God? What, what is God? Who, what, who is this person that we're talking about? If we finish, our, if we finish the verse, it says this. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is that just justifier the just judge. And in the cross of Christ, God has shown himself to be just and utterly and completely holy so that the penalty demanded by the law is not removed but paid for by Christ. God has shown himself to be the justifier, the just justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That's why he was patient. So that at the present time, meaning the cross, God's righteousness has been declared. Paul's just painting this beautiful portrait of who God is. We can never overlook the significance of the cross. And so as we're kind of wrapping up here today, I want to take you back to this story I was telling you about this kid that was speeding, right? I didn't finish it. I just uh, figured I'd take a pause and we'd come back to it. And so this kid, he's being taken off to his sentencing, right? He's done this uh, 105 miles per hour driving rampage and the police is taking him in and the policeman, he's thinking to himself, man, this is a really big thing. He's going more than 50 miles per hour over the speed limit, almost double what the law says that uh, I should uh, cut his license at. 
So I'm going to take him directly to the judge. And when the kid hears this, he immediately gets a smile on his face. You might be thinking, like, why? Why is he getting a smile on his face? Well, because in the county that he was arrested in, he knows where he's at. In the county where he's in, that's where his dad serves as the judge. And so he's being taken to his dad, and he thinks, oh, yeah, my dad loves me so much, I'm going to go ahead, and he's only going to give me, like, a week of community service. It'll be fine. And so this kid, he stands before his dad, the judge, and his dad says this, son, this officer has said that you, have going, you were going 50 miles per hour over the speed limit. How do you plead? And so this kid, he's thinking to himself, oh, you know what? If I'm honest here and I just say I'm guilty, my dad will even probably lessen the time. Maybe I'll only have a couple days of community service I have to do. So he says, guilty. And his dad responds, yep, that's a good response because you are guilty. And his dad looks at the son and he says, that will be $500 or a week in jail. Guilty as charged. Hits the gavel. The kid is in shock. How could my dad, who loves me so much, give me this thing? I don't have any money to pay this. I guess I'm going to end up with jail time. It's going to be on my record. Why would he do this? And so the bailiff comes over and he starts walking the son out the room because he, he doesn't have the money, so he's going to take him right to start serving his sentence. And this, and this kid, he hears his dad say, hey, 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 hold up. His dad gets down from the stand and he walks over to the bailiff, takes out his checkbook, writes a check for $500, looks at his son, gives it to him and says, Here's the deal. You can either accept this on your behalf or you don't. Your choice. And in the same way, when we hear this story, we're like this kid. We're guilty as charged. Guilty as charged for what we've done, the sin that we've done in our lives. At some point in our lives, we're going to be standing before that judge. Where are we going to be at? You know, we can't, just because we're a good person and, and, and the judge loves us, God loves us, that's not enough. He offers us a choice. Either put your faith in my son Jesus who died for you on the cross, or you don't. You decide. One choice leads to life. One choice leads to death. It's that simple. So as we close here today, I want to read this passage one more time to you in its entirety. I want to do this because when we see this passage, the contrast, the but, where it goes from death under sin, but now the righteousness of God. I want us to see this because in this passage we see the, the, the themes of sin, judgment, wrath, but also God's grace, righteousness, justice. So let's read this one more time. Romans 3 Verse 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want to share one more quote with you for today. It's, it's a quote from Bishop Hanley Mole. It says this. The harlot, the liar, and the murderer are all short of it, God's glory. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp. But you are as little able to reach the stars as they. Can you take this in for a moment, church? We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We deserve nothing but God. But now, the story changes. God doesn't let the story just end there. You see, he sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus, the perfect and spotless lamb of God. He sent him to the slaughter to die for our sins. Not because we deserved it, because we, deserve, we did anything to elicit that love. Jesus was whipped. He was beaten. He was forced to carry the, the instrument of his ultimate demise. That was supposed to be us. We're both slaves to sin and slaves to death. As human beings, we're dead in our trespasses. No one's excluded in that. So Jesus came down from heaven He redeemed us. He bought us with a price that we could not pay. Why? Because God loves us. And so God's wrath was poured out on Jesus for us so that when we reach the end of our lives and we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and God looks upon us and ultimately we're guilty, we're marked as guilty, Jesus stands right next to us and he says, not this one, or this one believed in me He put his faith in me, and that faith has saved him. And God looks looks upon us with a lens of his grace, and we hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, don't leave without talking to someone. So let me tell you, it's the most important thing you can ever do. Come talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors or the elders. Talk to someone. Talk to your neighbor. Because ultimately, if, you, if, if we don't trust in Christ, we're making that decision of death. If we, if we ultimately choose to, to not trust in God and not put our faith in him, there's nothing more valuable than this free gift that God gives us, this righteousness that has been declared and bestowed upon us as followers of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I am so thankful that we are able to gather here today as a church and we're able to talk about the truths of your word and we're able to see that even though we are slaves and captives to death, that we are subject to the wrath and condemnation that comes with that. God, you provide a way out. You provide a way in which believers who put their faith in Christ are looked upon as righteous. You love us so much that you sent your son to be nailed to a cross 
and to receive the full wrath that we, we deserved, Lord, for all of our sin and our unholiness. Jesus, you received that for us. And Father, I just pray that as we leave this place here today, that we will focus on that, that we will remember who you are and what you've done for us. And if, there isn't some, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't know your son, Lord, I pray that we are going to be able to love on that person and show them that, that grace and that they'll speak to someone here today. So Father, be with us as we talk to the, the cashier at the grocery store who's had a really hard day and we just want to show them your love. So that they say, oh, there's something different about this person. What is it? We talk to the people that really make us mad and grind our gears. They, we talk to them and Lord, I pray that we will show them the love of Christ so that they can also say, wow, there's something different about that person. What is it? Because just as you loved us to send your son to die for us, so we must recognize this, what, the, what you did for us and, and ultimately, Lord, show this love to others. So Father, be with us now. It's in your most gracious and your most heavenly name that we pray. Amen. We're just singing for our final song. From wherever you've been, come broken hearted and rescue him. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near.